0: My name is Scott, I happen to be the lead pastor here. I don't want to hear one more joke about me not being here for the past couple weeks. I'm, I'm back. Um, not preaching today, I'll talk about that in just a moment, um, but glad to have you here this morning. Ushers, if you'd come forward, please come down here and just wait. I want to say a couple of things uh, just before we share in the offering. You know, a couple of weeks ago, about five weeks ago now, I was preaching in a sermon, I asked you, as a church body, asked all of us to be bold. And a couple of things. I said, would you be bold in your prayers? And some of you have been. You have shared with me some of the things that you've been praying about, asking God to do in your life or in the lives of others. So, you know, good job. Jump at that. I asked you to be bold in serving, in volunteering. Many of you for the first time have stepped up in different places in the church and offered your time to serve in the church. The corn roast last night, classic example. All of the volunteers that were there, people stepping up in children's ministry, different places. If you haven't done that, step in step up. I ask you to be bold in your giving, and you've been doing that. Uh, and traditionally, August is a very difficult month and we have come through August with a strength because new people for the first time have decided to give and people who are giving said, you know, I'm in, so thank you for that. And we've asked you to be strong and to be bold in your inviting. Last night at the corn roast, I was, Diana and I were talking afterward, I was amazed at the number of people that I didn't recognize. I mean, I felt like a stranger, not because I haven't been around for a while, I have felt like a stranger. But one of the things that I also noticed, I'm looking at all these people that I've never seen before, but I noticed something. I've seen all these people that I've never seen, and they were in groups talking to people whom I have seen. That means that people have been inviting people, and you've, been, you've stepped up to that as well. I want to tell you about something else you can invite folks to. I'll get there in just a moment. But first, I want to pray before we share in our offering. Father, thank you for what you have given to us, what you do for us, how you care for us, how you watch over us. Remind us that everything that we have is yours and remind us that everything that we have has come from your gracious hand. It's only on loan to us for a short time. May we be good stewards. For each person who gives and gives generously, Father, bless them. And we say thank you for them. And for those who have yet to enter in, kind of prompt them a bit because they don't know what they're missing when they give to you and they give to the work of the church and that fulfillment that comes and blessing that comes. So for every gift, every giver, we give thanks and ask your blessing as we share in our offering together today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we share in the offering, one more thing I want to talk about. Next week, we're beginning a new series. We'll start our fall series. I'm back next week and be preaching. And for the next four or five weeks, we're going to be on a theme about just, just one question. Just one question. So here's the, here's the thought process for you. What if there was one question that you could ask yourself, if you'd be willing to ask yourself, when you're in a crisis moment, and if you'd ask that question and actually honestly answer it, might just lead you to a path Out of the problem and into a better way of life. What if there was one question that in your marriage, if you'd ask it, could change the trajectory of your marriage for the better? What if there was one question in your workplace that would change your outlook and work and actually change your success rate at work? What if there was one question, if you'd be willing to ask it, that actually can help you in your daily walk with God, change your walk with God, and make it vibrant and alive? So there is a question. There is a question. It's only six words. Six words, one question in the next four or five weeks. We're going to talk all about that one question that if you're willing to ask it can radically change your life. And I mean that so sincerely. If you are a a veteran follower of Jesus Christ, this series in the next couple of weeks is going to help you understand what it's like to walk with God on a daily basis. And how to have your walk take off and catch on fire. If you know someone who's going through a difficult time right now, invite them. Because the answer to this question and this question posed in our lives can help them. If you know someone who's maybe new, brand new to the whole thought of God. And you'd love to have them enter into a conversation. Invite them in these next few weeks and we'll talk about this one question. Six words. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but in the meantime, in all your leisure time, you'll think, okay, what's the combination of six words that can come together? One question, we're going to explore that for the next four or five weeks. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to invite friends and be a part of that. It's my absolute joy this morning to welcome Keith and Lori Beyer. Uh, Keith and Lori Beyer have served as missionaries, kind of the newer term that's used today, or international workers. And they have served as missionaries with Campus Crusade for Christ. That's the former name. The current name for that organization is called CRU. And they have been with the crew for over 20 years. They have served, uh, most recently are serving and living um, in Hungary. Uh, Before that, they have served in Russia. So, of course, when the war broke out uh, with Russia and Ukraine, they were in a pivotal place to help many of those refugees coming from Ukraine and help them in those next steps of finding, figuring out what life would be like. And we are so glad to have them be here and be a part of our church. We have watched them through the years because Keith grew up in the church. We have watched them through the years grow in their ministry. Coming back and sharing on, you know, typically every year, every two years, come back and be able to share what God is doing. We watch them grow in their responsibilities and in the uh, places that they serve and how that they serve. Keith is the European leader of leader development. Uh, Lori, in fact, is the global vice president for strategic leadership. So we've watched them grow, grow from just being in the field, and they're still in the field. But even growing up to that place where they have oversight and they are able to speak in to what's happening in their organization, literally around the world. Now, listen, Keith grew up in the church, and so for years, uh, as we've known them, I would say those are these are our kids. They're our kids. But the truth of it is, they're kids who have kids, and their oldest kid just got married. And so they're not kids anymore. These are just old people. So come on up. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was referring to him, not you. Thanks. That's God a good way to go. go. That's good. God bless you, now. you. We're glad you're here. Thanks.
1: Well, you never know what kind of introduction we'll get. I think. Be careful, I've got more. Are you still there? He's
2: still listening.
1: Uh, Chris, you can cut him off now. Um, (laughs) Anyway, it's great to be here. I mean, everyone always says that, but. uh, I mean it, <laughs> like everyone else does, but it's, uh, it's fun to be, it, it, it's home, I mean, it's where I grew up and went to school and, and all those things, and this church has certainly changed over all those years, um, but as Scott said, our home is in Hungary where we are right now, and um, uh, a lot is happening in that part of the world. But just as a quick kind of a family update, um, our daughter, Emma, did get married uh, in April, and so now we have another son in the family, a Rillian Rill, and it's great, We love it. And um, they're living in Washington, D.C. now as he's a naval officer, as you might be able to tell from his uniform, which is really a fun life for them to start out with. Um, Our son, Joel, just graduated in May. So you're here to fact check. Thank you. Okay. Uh, He graduated in May from... Not
2: that long ago, so...
1: Short-term memory. Um, Anyway, so (laughs) so he's working and living in Chicago with a real job. Uh, he, uh, he no longer gets a normal monthly stipend from us, which we'll see when that happens. Anyway, um, family matters. And then our youngest daughter, Nadia, who uh, is on a completely different path as far as her passion for theater and dance. And so she's in her second year at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. You know, you've heard of it, right? You've never been there, though. <laughs> There's a university there, not much else. But anyway, uh, it's a great place for her. She's loving it and uh, has gotten involved in a ministry. And actually on Saturdays, uh, she shares a leadership of a Bible study for fine arts students. As you can imagine, that's a very interesting world to be in. And uh, so we're praying for her as that.
2: Yeah, so it's easy to forget many things over this summer. We've actually been in America since May And this is a new record for us. You can share in our joy. We have stayed in, I think, 25 different locations in the last three months. So, you know, we occasionally wake up and like, now where am I again? (laughs) Which state am I in?
1: It happened to me this morning, actually.
2: (laughs) So this is actually a new record for us. So we are very thrilled to be here. We saved the best for last, um, being with you in Vermont. So... Let me tell you a little bit about our history of, as Scott alluded to, we spent the beginning of our international experience in Uzbekistan, which um, borders Afghanistan. It's a Muslim country. So we spent six years serving the Lord there, moved to Moscow, Russia for 12 years, which Moscow obviously is in the news a lot lately. We spent 12 years trying to figure out how do you bring the gospel to about a million college students? no small task, and 350 different campuses. So that was quite an incredible experience. The last eight years, we have been in Budapest, Hungary, giving leadership to a variety of ministries in Central and Eastern Europe. So recently, uh, our roles have changed. As Scott mentioned, I'm a global vice president overseeing strategic initiatives. So I wanna tell you two stories As you can imagine, the globe has a lot, but I'm going to tell you two. The bottom picture is an event that recently happened in Argentina. A city in Argentina decided, churches got together and decided that they wanted to reach uh, out to different audiences in the city, from education, to the poor, to the high-level politicians, to the marketplace leaders. And so that is what my responsibility is, is how do we reach those leaders in government, marketplace, athletics, arts, the different audiences. So we did an outreach event to talk about families. A lot of leaders have issues with families. And so the gentleman on my team named Hector, Hector began to talk, uh, this audience, maybe about 30, 30 individuals, and the president of the Chamber of Commerce for this city was in the audience. So Hector began to talk about how Jesus came and loves us and really wants to know us. And this gentleman stood up, stormed out of the room immediately when Hector mentioned God. Hector was a little, okay. (laughs) Okay, Lord, we'll see what happens. Assuming he would never see this man again. The next day, that man came to Hector's hotel room and knocked and said, hey, I need to apologize. Why, I stormed out yesterday. Three years ago, my son died. I am so, so angry with God. Hector began to share with him the love of Jesus and how Jesus understands his pain and his suffering. And Jesus came to conquer death. That president of the Chamber of Commerce came to faith that day. And God has something in store for that city because this man now has a position of influence. And how is God gonna use him to really impact that city? That's the story that we get to see the end. A lot of times we don't get to see the end. The other picture is an ambassador in South Africa meeting with uh, Natan Kamanga, who's a gentleman on my team. And this ambassador served in Geneva for several years as an ambassador to the United Nations. And our ministry called Christian Embassy has, you know, discussion groups, opportunities to meet ambassadors from all over the world. And so he began to engage in some of that dialogue. He was so interested and so enjoyed the refreshing, honest, open conversation that when he returned to South Africa, he looked for the ministry called Christian Embassy and met with Natan, and Natan began to talk to him about the Lord, and that journey is still going on. That man is definitely, he's a high-ranking official. He has a lot in this world to risk. But we know ultimately it is nothing, as Paul says, everything is rubbish compared to the great ability to know Jesus Christ. So we are praying for him that God would move mightily in his life. So these are just some of the stories. I know you don't get to hear these in the news, but God is moving around the world in incredible ways. So please... I'm going to turn it over here to Keith, but as you leave, there's these little bookmarks around out there. Please take one and you can sign up for our monthly updates and you can hear more of what God is doing around the world among leaders. So thank you so much for your prayers. We know we are not alone and that makes all the difference.
1: <laughs> yes, great. Thank you. I love the stories that Lori gets As She looks at the globe and what's happening with influential people, and my role in particular is centered on Europe, just 40 countries, so it's really nothing, <laughs> um, and we have about 1,300 missionaries with Campus Crusade or crew, and actually in every country they call themselves something else, so that's why we really don't care what the name is because it's different everywhere, But. I work specifically with the leadership of each of these ministries to help them to develop themselves as leaders and to develop the next generation of leaders to lead the ministry. It's ultimately important if we want to see a sustainable witness for Christ in these countries that as people grow older or get interested in other things, and they look for someone to replace themselves, succession planning uh, it, it happens anywhere in any organization, but we feel like it's even more important in mission that we keep that consistency. And so whether that's training for their jobs, doing theological development, or whatever it may be, that's, that's generally what I focus on. And it's super diverse because as, as we've put Eastern and Western Europe together recently as a ministry, they're completely different. Eastern Europe ministries grew up after the fall of communism. Everyone came in and everything kind of started at the same time with a lot of similarity. Western Europe, the ministries have grown up more organically over periods of time and have been self-sustaining from the beginning. So you look at a ministry like in Germany and they have something called a global aid network gain. And it is an international aid network that they have trucks and warehouses, and they ship stuff on cargo planes around the world, and they use that as an entree for ministry in different parts of the world. And then you look at a little place like Moldova, which is a small country of mix of Romanian and Russian influence, and they are just basically starting to learn how to do their own development of their staff in the country. So when I call up Radion, is his name, and I say, hey, how are you doing this year? What help do you need? He goes, hey, you know, we took what you guys did last year with us, and we're just doing it this year, so we're good. And and it's a little hard, honest, personally, to kind of think, oh, I I don't get to go see him anymore this year, but super exciting that that those things that they're learning, they're taking and doing it themselves. And so that's kind of the idea that in in the European context, I'm one of very few Americans that's left because of uh, an initiative or or just a, a sense of indigenization, that it should be Europeans leading the ministry in Europe, and I'll fit in and do the parts that I'm gifted in, but I really want them to achieve their goals. So it's not a directive, I don't have all this authority, I just help and I influence as I can and the Lord sees me blessing and that gives me a lot of joy. And one of the countries that we work very closely with, as Scott mentioned earlier, uh, is the, the ministry in Ukraine, which is our largest and most fruitful ministry. Uh, we have 137 full-time missionaries that are Ukrainian in the, in the country. And as you know, what happened on February 24th, um, 200 days today uh, with the invasion of their country by Russia really put us in a, for us personally, um, just knowing a lot, having a lot of experience in Russia and then working with the Ukrainian ministry at the same time and seeing what's happening to their homes, it's really hard. And so um, we got a message from our national director of the ministry, Uh, And basically, it was on uh, March 4th, and after some correspondence, he basically said, we're on the road, we're crossing the border into Hungary, we need to stay with you. And so, a family of six has been living in our home since March 4th. And it's our privilege to share our home that we thought we were going to experience a little bit of what the empty nest thing is. <laughs> it didn't, didn't last. The nest is full. Um, and, and so we, like Lori said, we've been gone since May traveling. And so they've had our home and it's, it's just our privilege to share that with them. But there's just a lot of hardship, a lot of struggle. Uh, you can only imagine. But they've really, they've really done a lot to think how to change what they're doing now to reflect the reality because you may see things like, you know, bombings in the city of Kharkiv, which is down kind of in the south on the east and a huge student ministry in that city that's basically come to a stop and that team is no longer there. So like, what do we do with a whole team of missionaries that can't do their job in that city? And so they've kind of reinvented some opportunities. And one of them is, is called the yellow box strategy Okay, And it's centered around a yellow box. It's really not very creative at all. But what they're doing is uh, they're filling the box with a, a certain amount of humanitarian aid, food mostly, going to smaller cities Okay, that don't usually get the distribution from the government, working with local churches, including the Christian Missionary Alliance churches in the country, which is a great partnership. I love it. And there's a four-part strategy to make it both spiritual and humanitarian. And so there's a message in each of the boxes sequentially for four different series. And the first one talks about God's love. And obviously, good news. People want to hear that. So distribute it. They open it up. They see what they need. But they also read what they really need to hear. And then it comes back the next time. It talks about, but you know, God loves us. But we're separated from God by our sin. And that's a problem. Second, third box but Christ has a solution for your separation from God. And so the fourth box comes with a question mark. So what do you do about that? That invitation rests upon you to respond to. So it's this great series that they created um, and they're doing that in a lot of cities around the country, they have, I think, 12 vans that they've purchased just for this strategy to move things around. And they're also helping a lot of the soldiers because we have we have four of our missionary staff who are in the army. There's maybe even more today, I'm not sure. Uh, and they have texted us, sent us messages, hey, we need goggles, we need flashlights, we need warm clothes, we need all these things. And so we've rallied, we I say we were part of it, but the Ukrainian ministry has really taken ownership of this and they start to collect stuff that they can find in Europe. A fair amount of it ends up in our living room, as I've seen photos. It gets boxed up, and then they ship it across the border back and forth. And so it's become this huge logistical thing where they take what's needed to cities, and then often taking people out of those cities that need to move somewhere else. So if you can just imagine that, you know, no one would have prepared them for this, but God's provided this neat opportunity in the face of a lot of hardship and and pain. And it's obviously still going on. And I I say it's, it's hard for us, and you know, if you've, had, if you've had experience in Russia, you know what that's like there. And then you see what's happening in Ukraine. And, and we really are, are pulled in the middle because the, the ministry in Russia is still going on. We have missionaries there. They're all Russian. And they're asking for help because of the world's sanctions upon their nation makes their ministry very challenging. And, and I think, yeah. That's what it's supposed to do, unfortunately. But they're also saying, and I'll just add this one word, that they, they've reported that there's been a great openness to the gospel that they haven't seen in a long time in Russia. So if that could be any sort of a dim light in the darkness, then, then I can celebrate that and we can celebrate that. And so just to give you a little picture for, for what's going along um, Let me just pray and then I'll I'll share a little story about something that I've been learning. I think we've both been learning really from the Ukrainians that we've interacted with. And so let me just pray for this. Jesus says a a lot going on in the world, in every country, but uh, we just pray for this particular crisis. It weighs heavy on our hearts and many to speak nothing of the millions that have been displaced and are without a home and, and without hope. I just pray that you'd bring an end to this soon and that you would bring justice to this situation and joy to the hearts of those involved. And in whatever way that we can reach out from where we are or to help those that are doing so, Lord, it's our privilege to be a part of it. And so we thank you for the body of Christ working together around the globe to meet the needs that we see happening. And so as we think about that and we think about our own lives, I pray that you just bless our time this morning that we have together. In your name, Jesus, amen. With the family living in our home, uh, they are from the eastern side of Ukraine, which is considered an occupied region, and they're native Russian speakers. We speak Russian, so every morning when that day starts, whoo, we kind of reenter that world. So it's really, um, we, we've kept up with our language, but it's certainly intense. And, and, and trying to understand their world a little bit and, and trying to think about how to help. And, and one thing really stood out to me, and this is kind of where I want to share this morning, is a simple question how are you doing today? It's a simple question. But when we ask these people who are suffering and dealing with so many hard things, they're very honest. They answer. And it kind of got me thinking that we kind of, we kind of waste that question. It's a powerful question when you want to ask them, how are you? And you mean it. And then but often we don't know. It's just, it just becomes a, a what question, not a how. How are you doing? Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing or fine or whatever. And, and if that's just your greeting of others, that's fine. But my point is that we kind of waste this powerful question by not asking it in a, in a more intentional way, or, or perhaps we don't have the courage to answer it honestly. And, and we're not going to do that with everybody, with every stranger that we meet, but But are there opportunities for us to share? Because this is kind of how we help each other, by just knowing what's going on in each other's lives. And to answer that question, it takes a second for us, I think, to think about how are we on a deeper level? And and for today's discussion, for today's topic, I want to think about it in terms of a soul level. How are you at a soul level in your life? And, and I'll just define that as kind of the, the immaterial part of who you are, the non-physical part. There's lots of ways of describing the soul and the spirit and the intellect and the passions and the seat of emotions and all. Let's just put all that together for today because we don't have time to break that down. And to think it's, it's the real you. It's the part of you that makes you who you are at that soul level. Um, and it includes things, you know, like your mind, and your passions, and the uniquenesses, and we have to be able to reach to that level and understand how are we doing at that level. How is your soul? And, and that word, it, it comes through the Greek, it comes to us, psyche, psychology. So infer that to mean that psychology is the study of the soul. Okay, that starts to make more sense that that's, that's how it should be. We should inquire of who we are at that point. And then if you read... If you read in the book of Revelations, the, the people that are being referred to, especially in the heavenly realm, they're all referred to as souls. So if you, if you go with me with my definition for this is that the soul is the part of you, which is the real you, that we will recognize in heaven as you. That's the part we carry with us. So doesn't it make sense that we care for it today? It does. Because it is distinct. And it shows up in scripture in different places. Um, in 3 John, the apostle John is writing a, a letter, very short, one chapter, uh, to the leader of the church. His name is Gaius. And, and he writes this. He goes, the elder, to speaking about himself, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, verse 2, I pray that all may go well with you. So I hope things are going well in the church. I hope you're seeing success, okay, on that level. And that you may be in good health, so physically. I hope you're doing all right, checking in. And then finally, as it goes well with your soul. He's inquiring how Gaius is doing at a soul level. It's a it's a how are you doing really? Or that, you know, you probably have a person in your life who, who asks you that, how are you? They really are very clear that they're interested, right? This is, this, is, this is John writing to this person, explaining that this is an important part that I'm concerned about. And I want to ask you about it. And we're going to circle back to that verse a little bit later to understand why he might have said that. But the reason that it is important to be inquiring about this and to be paying attention to it and to be bringing it before each other is because there's a lot of things in this world that cause our souls to suffer, that cause hardship, to be an unhealthy if you want to think of it. And I'm just going to talk about two, and there's a lot of ways to go about this. But the first thing is that the, the world that we're in, especially the things that are not controlled by us, the things that just happen, the things that go on, things that come across our world, across our lives, it wears at us. It wears on us. Um, second Peter talks about the, the, the war against our souls. He says, first, second, first Peter, excuse me, first Peter chapter two, verses 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So he's speaking to the believers, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And, And the flesh usually is a term that gets used to talk about just the twisted and corrupted parts of the world and how it affects us. So he's saying, stay away from those things in the world. Don't indulge in those things. Don't even get close to them. Why? Huh. It wages war against your soul. Pretty clear. This is what happens. This is the world we're living in, and it will affect you. So you can't can't just assume it's fine, I'm fine, nothing's really affecting me. You kind of have to be honest about that. And like, again, sometimes when things are really low and difficult or really great, we kind of can feel that. But there's a lot in between that we don't pay attention to. So we're all in this together. And if you think about it, that we were created... To have that relationship with Christ. To have that relationship through Christ with God. And that's where we should be. That's where we should be fed by. But we're living in this world. And, and our lives are affected by all the things that happen that are twisted in this world. And it wages war against us. And so we have to kind of wonder, well, what exactly is that that's affecting me? Because it's different. It's, it's different for each of us. And it's, it's for me and for you. The things that will affect us. And it's, it's, a, it's an influence Um, Last week, Pastor Matt, great sermon. He talked about what are you being trained by? Same idea. What are you being influenced by? Because what happens is the the things you see, the things you read, the things you think about, it it starts to influence you. And I'm saying this in a negative sense. There's positive influences, but it it, it starts to influence us. And we don't even realize it. But then we then start to speak and, and interact with others. And that influence flows to them. And it becomes this circular pattern that if we're not aware of it, we're part of the problem. And that's a little scary. And even the idea that fear in our lives, there's a lot of things that strike fear in our hearts. And that starts to affect how we behave and how we operate from a, from a posture of fear rather than of courage and hope. And again, that can roll into our relationships and our decisions and our behaviors. And that starts to affect others in the way we wouldn't want to. In John 16, and I apologize. We're all over these different scriptures today. Usually I stick with one, but hang with me. It's all good. Um, in John 16, uh, Jesus is speaking, and this is at the Last Supper. And so all the different chapters separate before, he's talking about what's going to happen with his death, his resurrection, the Holy Spirit coming, all of that. Okay? And so we, we just come in right in this one verse. And he said, I have said these things to you, so everything preceding. That you may have peace. Okay. Well, that's good. Why do you need that? Well, it goes on. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Uh Uh-oh. But take heart. I've overcome. I've overcome the world. So we know how it ends. But yet, the other part about having tribulation, it's like, why couldn't that have been, I've overcome the world, so don't worry. You won't have any tribulation. You won't have any struggles it's part of God's plan that we experience this struggle. And we all have perhaps a testimony about how that hard times in our life strengthen us and help us to grow, but none of us look for that. It's kind of like you want patience in your life and you pray for patience and then God will give you opportunities to practice it. Yeah, anyway. So we can expect that. that so the, these tribulations, these trials, these challenges are the things that wear away at our soul. The second thing that I would say is the people. Our world is full of people. We're sitting next to people. (laughs) We're here with people. We're always surrounded, more or less. Sometimes even digitally, we're surrounded by people that uh, some of them are difficult for us. They're people that kind of wear at us, that cause us to grow weary. And and don't elbow anyone you're sitting next to right now as being that person. But um, two things about that. One, it goes both ways sometimes you're that difficult person for someone else. And if that helps you in any way to be a little more friendly about it, you know, that you could be that person as much as it's easy to see that there's a mirror somewhere in here. Um, but, but the people in our lives and it's, it's a challenge because, um, golly, they just, the choices they make are people. Well, let's go back to, to, to third John. Sorry. We're going to jump for just a second. So, He's writing to Gaius about his church. And he's inquiring about his soul. Why, why would he be so specific about that? Why would he want to go so deep? And, and he says this in, in verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. And it goes on from there. I'm just a quick reference that this particular individual is sabotaging the church. He's nothing but trouble. He is one of those people for the leaders of the church, and we only know about Gaius or Gaius, um, but he's causing his soul to suffer because of this person and the things that are going on as a result of that, okay? Um, what are we supposed to do with people like that? Because we can kind of all think about that, be difficult people in our lives. And hmm, what are we called to do? Or Oh, love them as our neighbor, well, my neighbor bothers me. I mean, think of the stuff that's in the grass outside, the flags that fly, the conversations on the road, the people in your life, they're annoying. And, and the great commandment taken from Deuteronomy says that we should love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so let's just punt. Let's, let's just not go there. Let's just send it back. Isn't that kind of the mission of the church? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? To be a light, to be hope in, in a dark world and to love the people that are hard to love? It's not easy, I'll say. I think we can all experience that. It's not simple. It's not easy, but we're asked to do that. And, and you know, when we think about how, how exactly, how exactly do we love that other person? Because, This is an old, it's probably cliche and I'll I'll put it out there that, you know, when we're trying to to take steps towards that difficult person, um, the phrase kind of goes like this. People don't care how much you know or or what, they don't really care what you have to say. They don't care, they don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. You got it, Carmen, right? It's, they want to know that you care first before you really have the opportunity to talk to them. And that, that's the sense of you want to love them first, and then you have the opportunity to talk to them. And it's, it's challenging. You can't really get there. But let's, let's take a look, because I'm, I'm cheating a little bit. And some of you may already realize this, that the, the great commandment, as it's written in the Gospels, Matthew, and in Mark, and in Luke, slightly different in each time, but the intent is very clear. I'll read it from Matthew 22, 22, 37, 39. And he, Jesus, said to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So love love the Lord with everything. Let's not get into the details, right? It doesn't matter. Whatever you've got, love the Lord with that. This is the great and first commandment. The second is, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don't get it out of order. You can't do the love your neighbor without loving God first. That's where it comes from. Because we try to do it on our own, it, really doesn't work, or it works for maybe a very short period of time. And it's so important to look at that and go, okay, so that love relationship, that relationship, that connection with the Lord has to come first, and then I can love my neighbor who bothers me and causes my soul harm, okay? But that's what we're called to do. We can't do that without the source of love that comes from God first. So how do you do that? Because that could be a kind of an interesting concept, like love God, Well, here's some advice that I didn't like when I started spending time with Lori before we just met, and we were on a mission project in, at that time, Czechoslovakia, and there was no dating allowed. That's not a, who thought of that? Anyway, um, (laughs) there was no dating, and someone noticed that we were together occasionally, um, and I say, well, we're not, you know, we're not dating. We're not developing a love relationship. And they're like, well, let's talk about it in three terms. Time, trust, and talk. I'm like, time, trust, and talk. I'm like, okay, go, give it to me. Are you spending time together? Well, yeah, sure. Trust. Are you starting to share things that you would only trust with someone who's trustworthy about yourself, sharing things personally? Yeah. And, and the, the talk part, are you spending time talking to each other? And like, you know, because that's basically developing a love relationship. And I didn't really want to hear that and we're married almost 30 years later so I guess it worked out one way or the other. Break a few rules along the way, it's okay. Oh wait, this isn't recorded. This message is not recorded, okay. Um, so if you need help thinking about that, how do, I, how do I develop that love relationship with the Lord? It's kind of like time, trust and talk. How do you spend time or how do you give your time to the Lord? Read the word, volunteer, do something. Trust, do you trust that God really has your best intentions? And then talk to him, prayer. Prayer. It kind of works. Very simple. Time, trust, and talk. It's just a simple way to think about that. How to develop that love relationship with the Lord. There's a lot of other ways to think about it. But we're trying to keep that priority in our relationship with the Lord. But I want to kind of just summarize all this. We talked about the world and the challenges that it brings to our soul at a soul level. We talked about people. And there's this great solution. Very clear. It's offered by Jesus in Matthew 11. And if you're even feeling today that, yeah, I'm feeling like my soul needs a little refreshing, a little restoration, I want to give you this. And I'm going to read this passage twice, once just so you understand it. And then a second time, more of an invitation to join in this solution from Jesus Christ. He says in Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. The world's got you down. Come to me. And what will happen? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Just walk in step with me. Walk with me. Learn. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. I love you and I have your best in mind. What will happen? you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I thought about this, and, and it, it kind of gives you an odd picture of like we're all cows, like walking along. And, and then if I thought about that a little further, and this happens sometimes, I, I think differently, and if you can get something from this, great. But we're, we're kind of all walking along and we're, we're chafing, we're, we're pulling, we wanna go, pull ahead. We want to step back. We're, but we're trying. Okay. So just realize that this is a practice. We're practicing, but the benefit is that it's really the solution that God has for us to find rest for your souls. So what I want to do, don't worry, you don't have to stand up, but I would like you to close your eyes. And I want to read this again but I want you to listen to this passage as it's Jesus speaking to you, that you could respond to him. Just from your heart, because I don't know. But the Lord knows and you know. It's between you and he. So let me just read this. Close your eyes, just listen. This is, a, this is the message. It's, it's in your Bible, it's read, Jesus spoke it. And so let's take it to today. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus, we don't want to ignore what you've provided for us. We know that life is difficult, that the world, it wages war against our souls. But it's such an important part of us that it's the level that you know us at and that we would recognize each other in heaven by that identity of our soul. I just pray for each of us and myself included that we would be aware of where we're at and what help we need. That we would be courageous in asking the real question, how are you in thinking about things at a deeper level? And then we'd be honest in our response. You created the body of Christ, the fellow believers around us to support and to help each other. And to know that we're not alone, that we can walk in step with you. And we know we'll get ahead, we'll get behind, we'll pull. But we want to experience that rest at a soul level that you promise us. Give us patience as we practice this. Thank you for your grace that's long-suffering and gives us the time to learn with you. Thank you, Jesus. We don't have to do it alone. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining this morning. I appreciate it. And uh, don't forget to check out our website or go to the QR code little thing, and then you can sign up to get our prayer letter and hear more of what's happening in our world. Thank you.